For those of you that don't know me, my name's Spencer. I'm the deacon here at the table for five more days. I'm getting ordained next Saturday. Super excited. And I uh, also uh, get to serve as part of the College of Preachers here. And so as part of that team of preachers, I'm excited to proclaim some good news to you guys this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today we proclaim the good news that you don't have to pretend that you're something you're not to enter the kingdom of heaven. Your Father already knows you, brokenness and all, and He refuses to stop loving you. Instead of power piety and religious rackets, Jesus is inviting us to confess and be transformed. How can we reconcile this passage that's all about secrecy with Jesus' command at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount to be a city on a hill? Isn't fasting and praying and giving in secret the same thing as hiding our light under a basket? Jesus is not contradicting himself here. Instead, he is illuminating that not only does it matter what we do, but also how and why we do it. Just as is the case with the Beatitudes, this passage commonly is co-opted by our own proclivity to turn the teachings of Jesus into a new legalism. And so, if we were to pick up this passage and make it a new legalism, secrecy would become the new formula for blessing. As long as I do enough good things and I'm super secret about it, then finally I've got God's favor in my life. Only a fraction of the good news is on the surface of this passage. Jesus is doing a lot of deep work here. What Jesus is saying and what he's doing are two different things, but they're related. He's exposing the religious racket of his day, and he's also teaching us how to really live. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting are all good things. They're all parts of the Christian life in Jesus' time and in our own. But in his time, they had been co-opted and turned into a sort of power piety. This religious racket favored the privileged and further excluded the disadvantaged, the marginalized, the outsider. Piety was used as a way to consolidate and display power. So in, in the terms of almsgiving, in some rabbinical teachings, almsgiving had actually been subbed in in place of righteousness. So in other words, the more that you give, the more righteous you are. The more that you're able to give, the more blessed you are. Now obviously this favors those that are wealthy, and it also excludes and marginalizes further those who don't have wealth. But Jesus, throughout all of his teaching, completely upends this, just like he does in this passage. Further down the road, when he teaches on the widow's might, he says, This poor widow put in more than all other contributors to the treasury, for they have all contributed from their surplus of wealth. But she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. When Jesus mentions praying in secret, it would have been obvious for his listeners that day that he was referencing the Jer Jerusalem elite. Elaborate prayers were linked very closely with people that had access to the temple. And so it would favor those that were well-educated, they were well-positioned in society. But those that were on the outside are further, further marginalized by this, if, you, if showy prayers is what gets you in there. And to this, Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. We often take for granted today, even, that fasting is really a practice of, of the privileged. You can't really plan your fast when you're not sure when your next meal is coming or where it's coming from. And so fasting in Jesus' day favored the well-fed, and it excluded those that were truly praying for their daily bread. But friends, the kingdom isn't reserved for the wealthy or the well-educated or the well-fed. No one is excluded. In fact, 
While I'm tempted to say that we all can easily access the kingdom, Jesus very clearly teaches that it's the wealthy and not those that are on welfare that will find it difficult to receive the kingdom in their life today. To those that would try to ensure their own inness by favorably comparing themselves to those already marginalized outsiders, Jesus says, miss me with that. You don't have to pretend that you're something you're not to enter the kingdom of heaven. Your father already knows you, brokenness and all, and he refuses to stop loving you. Instead of power, piety, and religious rackets, Jesus is inviting us to confess and be transformed. I don't know if you guys can hear this radio station through the speakers. It's really interesting to do this. Sorry. <laughs> Oftentimes, our best imagination for how to handle our brokenness is a type of sin management program. So we tell ourselves, if I behave, if I say the right things, if I can learn enough, then finally God will accept me into his kingdom when I leave this world. Maybe in the next life. If I do enough now, then in the next life I'll be accepted in his kingdom. But to those who set out to prove, their, uh, prove or earn their acceptance in the kingdom by broadcasting every good action they take, Jesus also says, you miss me with that too. The gospel Jesus proclaimed throughout his entire ministry was that the kingdom of heaven had come in the here and now. Not that if you performed well enough that you'd see his kingdom in the next life. In our attempts to secure a place in the kingdom, we hustle. And these hustles are actually what get in our way of seeing the kingdom break free in our life in the here and now. Instead of gaining us the acceptance we crave, our hustles are what alienate us from our community. With the coming of his kingdom, Jesus is creating a people that can bear one another's burdens. He's not creating an elite group of people that are so well-empowered and well-positioned well in society that they don't have any burdens. Our hustles cut us off from full relationship with one another, and they, they further marginalize those who aren't in a position to mask their need for relationship and reliance. It's a vicious cycle. I think we see this every time there's a Christian leader that falls from grace or is disgraced. Most recently, I'm thinking of Ravi Zacharias, who passed away just a few weeks ago. And a couple of short weeks after he passed away, there's been a multitude of women that have come out and credibly accused him of sexual assault. And it's, at this time, it doesn't even feel necessarily surprising, unfortunately, when this happens. And, of course, when new allegations come out, then old allegations resurface as well. And these old allegations are always dealt with in the same way. They become news. They're in the, the news cycle for a couple of weeks, maybe. And then they get dealt with quietly in some back room. Out of court, of course. There's some type of settlement. And everyone is forced to sign a non-disclosure agreement. But of course everybody would sign an NDA, because in a world where image means so much to us, of course it makes sense for non-disclosure to be so common. We're willing to go to any length to protect our image, our brand, our platform, and oftentimes we even say that we're doing this in the name of Jesus. We're protecting the influence we have for his kingdom. We see this in church all the time, maybe even more than we see it in the world. I can't tell you how many conferences I've been at where a pastor who recently had some kind of falling out and was forced to step down from pastoring his own church is up on the stage preaching. And of course, we can't talk about what happened. Let's just keep this quiet. Let's keep this between us. We keep it secret. Whenever our dark, our dark desires get out, we try to keep it as secret as we can, and we're in a rush to be restored. Not be restored in our heart internally, but to be restored to our positions of authority and power and platforms. This only reinforces the cycle of abuse. This disposition for non-disclosure, it indicates a lack of faith in Jesus' ability and desire to redeem our wants. 
to redeem our hearts completely. Instead of non-disclosures, Jesus is calling us to confess and repent. We tend to think that being a Christian is about saying the right words, doing the right works, but we often don't have a lot of hope that Jesus can actually heal our broken wanters. We don't have much hope for our wants other than that we might be able to resist them long enough to earn a spot in heaven one day. Jesus' call is not to tend to our own goodness. It's to follow him. We're not called to adhere to a rote list of virtues, although virtues are manifest as a byproduct of us following Jesus. The call of a disciple is to follow Jesus today, in the here and now. Stanley Hauerwas expounds on this distinction between virtue gathering and Christ following by saying, not to let our left hand know what our right hand does is possible only by the overwhelming self-forgetness, excuse me, self-forgetfulness that comes from Jesus' call to discipleship. That is why for Christians, acquiring virtues is not to be understood as what we do, but rather what has been made possible by what we have received. So we can only do what we have been given. Jesus' call to follow him wasn't issued to the power players of his day. It was issued to those who were left out and unqualified. A disciple isn't identified by his or her resume, but by their willingness to follow Jesus. This is how we learn to take the lordship of Christ seriously in the here and now. It's not a pie-in-the-sky idea that we can just talk about on Sundays when we come together. It's a real, it's reality. We can live into it on a daily basis. We, can ask the, we do this by asking the question, what does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus today, on October 11th, as we go out from here to lunch, or as we go back into our work week? We can ask that question, situation to situation, instead of just reducing it down to a list of 10 or 20 or 200 rules. We can really enter into his kingdom by asking and submitting our lives to the Lordship of Christ. His kingdom has come. His Lordship is a real thing that we can submit to today. Friends, you don't have to pretend that you're something you're not to enter the kingdom of heaven. Your Father already knows you, brokenness and all, and he refuses to stop loving you. Instead of posturing and non-disclosure agreements, Jesus is inviting us to confess and be transformed. Our culture already frowns upon praying really loudly on street corners and uh, drawing a ton of attention to how generous we are. So those aren't great hustles today in most cases. One of the things that comes top of mind for me of how we hustle is social media. I think we all see this a lot and talk about it a ton. But people really don't, they're not real on social media. They're usually just showing off. And I think that it reveals a lot about each of us, how we like to interact in that space. Technology has provided more tools now than we've ever had to effectively project the image that we want to. We can edit it. We can kind of uh, subtract things from our life that we don't want people to see. And we can project the, the perfect image of what we want to display to the world. But we all have a hustle. My hustle is that I'm always strong, that I'm not weak. I don't need your help. You're the person that needs my help, not the other way around. What's your hustle, friends? A friend of mine's wife just two days ago was not so jokingly urging him to stop telling people, or at least her friends, that he only got into one college. And he's a perfectly successful individual. They're happily married, but there's some threat to their status by him telling people this. I was already used, planning on using this as an example, but then I told Mal not to tell people this morning that she went to Oral Roberts, so I'm guilty of it too. <laughs> Maybe you're convinced that you're not 
that if you're not doing something for somebody, that they're going to discard you completely. We're so formed into this conflating of utility and value that sometimes we don't know how to exist in relationships where people don't need us. This sense of commodifying relationships has contributed to tons of abuse inside and outside the church. Oftentimes we interpret someone wanting to use our talents as like the highest form of flattery or as a compliment. But in reality, they're dehumanizing us and we're dehumanizing them. Friends, the table doesn't need your talent or your gift. We want you, baggage and all. We want to be a community that can bear one another's burdens. And we believe that Jesus is calling us into a type of relationship that is built on a desire to bear each other's burdens, not to use each other. And that way we are free to bring the gift of who we are. No performance, no strings attached to this community. What's your hustle today, friends? How do you want people to see you? Do you hope that they see you as helpful, smart, loving, successful? Inherent in whatever strategy you employ is some bad news at work that runs counter to the good news that Jesus was proclaiming in this text. Jesus repeats the refrain multiple times in this passage. Your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. God is so real that he can only meet you where you're really at today. The God who created you knows you. He sees your insecurities. He sees your hustle. He sees the frightened boy inside of me working so hard to show everybody that I'm not scared. Your father sees in secret. But what is this reward he's talking about? He's talking about kingdom life, the God type of life. The kingdom of God is here today. You can live into it in the here and now. You can live with the knowledge that you don't have to pretend you're something that you're not to enter the kingdom. Your father already knows you. He sees your brokenness and he refuses to stop loving you. Instead of power piety and religious rackets, instead of your hustling, Jesus is inviting us to confess and be transformed. Our psalm today says, lift up your heads, O gates. It says, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. I think this picture illustrates what our, our gospel passage is all about as well. The king of glory isn't far off. He's not waiting for you to somehow figure out a way to earn your wings. He's actively trying to come into your life every moment of every day. It's not posturing or performance that will earn his attention. It's confession and repentance that open the gates of your heart that have been keeping his kingdom from breaking free into your life. The hustles that we think will earn us what we want are the very things standing in our way from receiving what God is already trying to give to us today. Jesus doesn't want to reform your hustle, friends. He wants to restore your heart. It's not just your words or your works that matter to God. It's your wants, and he is ready to redeem them if you'll trust him with them. today we proclaim the good news that you don't have to pretend that you're something you're not to gain acceptance in the kingdom of God. Your heavenly father knows you completely and he refuses to stop loving you, even in the midst of your insecurities, your hustling, your brokenness. Instead of posturing, Jesus is inviting us to confess and be transformed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.